Right now we are in uh, message number seven, no, eight, message number eight of nine of the series we're calling The Life of the Church. The Life of the Church. The church is filled with life, and it's not the building, but it's the people. So the life of the church is what we've been talking about now for several weeks. And uh, there's a couple that I'm going to call Trevor and Eliza, not their real names. Uh, But they were a young couple that went to the college in our town in Orange City. And uh, they were coming to our church. And like many young couples, they decided it was time. And uh, he popped the question. She said yes. And they asked me if I would come to California to marry them. And as I hesitated, they said, and we'll buy your plane ticket. And I said, I don't even have to check my schedule. But I, I did. I checked my schedule, and I said, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. And uh, it was kind of unusual. I felt bad, them having to buy a plane ticket for me. Uh, but, but okay, whatever, they're going to do that. And so I was, uh, I was happy to be involved in that. They said, would you do premarital counseling? And I said, sure. So we started that. And uh, that was in the fall. We started with premarital counseling. And after a couple months, they asked if they could talk to me. And uh, after a service, and so we went outside in between uh, where my office was and my house was. We were standing in the driveway, and they were a little, I didn't know what they wanted to talk about. They were a little funny. And, and I don't remember which one of them spit it out, but they said that, uh, I couldn't marry them that next summer in California because she was pregnant now. And they had to get married over Christmas break. So I wouldn't be able to do it. And then they stood there. And it's one of those moments as a pastor that you realize what you say and how you handle this in this moment could really affect how this young couple's going to think about the church and about being open and honest and about pastors for a long time. And I don't really remember what I said exactly. I remember giving them both hugs. I remember reminding them that every new life is a gift from God. Every new life is and is to be celebrated and cherished as a gift from God. And that uh, we, we, can't, we can't mess up God's plans. Um, I remember saying that, you know, there's there's life after mistakes, and there's life after sin, and, and uh, we, we repent, and we turn around, and we, and, and we were going to be there for them, and we were going to help them through this. And at some point in the near future, we got in my office, and we sat down, probably the next premarital counseling session, actually. And I remember on my whiteboard, I wrote up on my whiteboard, and I put the, the date that it was, and then I wrote um, when the baby was going to be born, and then I wrote the date that they would be leaving Orange City. So they had decided that from that point on, they weren't going to go back to California for summer, vac- summer break uh, or any of the other breaks. They were going to be in Orange City until he graduated, and it was 18 months. And so on the whiteboard, I wrote, here's what I think you should do. I think you should do this at this point, then at that point do this, and then when the baby's born, you'll do this, and and I went on, and then you'll graduate at this point. And I said, if you will do those things, I think that our church is a type of a church family that will love you and come around you and care for you, and that this this will go really well, and, and that you're here in our church at this time for such a time as this. 
And you know, when you tell people to do things in counseling sessions, most of the time they don't do it. Most of the time they don't do it. So this morning we're talking about life change and we're talking about growth, we're talking about outreach. Because this morning we're on a, a, a whole different level in the boxes. But before we get to that, I want to read this statement. It'll be up on the screen. When we embrace the Great Commission by living out the Great Commandment, God grows us and then he expands the kingdom. So everyone wants to embrace the Great Commission. But when we embrace it by living out the Great Commandment, then God will grow us and he'll expand the kingdom the kingdom of God. So the boxes uh, help me because on the bottom you got love and on the next slide it shows you the, the, the four different designations of each row. And this really helps me. So the bottom row is our purpose and the second row, which we've spent the last, I don't know, five or six weeks on, the, the, that's, those are our practices, the things that we do, the things that we practice on a regular basis, we practice loving relationships, loving service, and loving worship. And then we get to the next level, which are the results. These are the natural artworkings. This is the fruit, the fruit of these practices. And that is growth in us and outreach for the kingdom. And those two things are the two things we're going to talk about this morning. Now, growth is to be differentiated from spiritual disciplines, which we talked about last week. Now, by the way, by the way, Pastor John, are are you in here this morning? Oh, there you are. I have a little bone to pick with you, Pastor John. So it seems as though two years ago, or three or four, another wonderful pastor that John was working with named Corey stood on this very, or maybe that platform, and, and challenged the whole church. Read through the Bible in a year. Right? Amen, right? He did it. And then the schmuck pastor shows up and says, oh, you don't have to read your Bibles. <laughs> now, John, you, you knew. I didn't know. No, no. I didn't know. But you knew. So can we agree that you set me up last week? Absolutely, he said. Absolutely, you heard it. So, so John and I talked about this on episode two of the Chack Insider podcast. You didn't even know there's one. You must not be on the inside. The, Ch- the Chack Insider podcast is going to be released very soon. And John and I talk about that very thing on episode two because how can it be that one pastor tells you, read through the Bible in a year? And another pastor gets up and says, you don't have to read your Bible. Well, there's, there, really is, there really is a reconciliation of those two. But in that reconciliation lies the understanding of what growth is. Of what growth is. So growth is not, uh, let's see. Lord, well, let's look at this over here first. The antiboxes. So instead of growth, you've got success. Success. See, because over here, when it's all about self, you just want to succeed. You just want to be a success. You want to get that, that promotion, that money, that sale, that, that uh, 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 spouse, whatever it is. You, you want to succeed. You want to get to a certain level. And the other side of it is uh, instead of uh, outreach, you've got reputation. 
So outreach is when we make God's name famous and when we declare and proclaim Jesus as the greatest. And over here, reputation is when we make our own name famous, right? And we declare us to be somebody and, or something to be reckoned with or to be known. They're very, very different. So two things I want to say about this as we begin. Number one about growth is that knowing isn't growing. Knowing is not growing. Because somehow spiritual growth in many Christian circles has come to be known as this, uh, this linear appropriation of information. And I've got all this information and I can regurgitate it back. I know it and therefore I'm growing spiritually. So if I spend time in a book or in a study, uh, uh, then, then if the more that I learn, the more I'm growing. That's not necessarily the case. Paul and Jesus and James, in fact, talk about taking what we know and putting it into practice. And that putting it into practice brings the growth from God. God grows us by us practicing spiritual disciplines or by us practicing these practices on the second level. And then secondly, attract is not evangelism. Now, some of you don't even know what attract is because tracks aren't what they were back in the 60s or 70s. But attract is not evangelism. So sometime in the last half of the 20th century, maybe the first half it started, we changed, we changed evangelism and the gospel. We changed the gospel from a life to receive, a new life to receive, and we changed it to information to believe. So if we could give you the right information and you believed it, you wouldn't go to hell. And the important thing is not to go to hell. Somehow, avoiding the punishment became more important and more to be talked about than the wonder of God and the wonder of the new life in Christ. And so it became, instead of a a new life to be received from God, it became information that you had to believe. And if you'll come up here, and if you'll pray with me this prayer, and you you won't go to hell when you you die. And so it, it got a little bit goofed up. See, it's not all wrong, but the emphasis isn't in the right spot. The emphasis became about don't go to hell, instead of there's a God who wants to have a relationship with you. And it's, it's, uh, it's um, reductionistic. It reduces the gospel down to information to be believed. The gospel isn't that. The gospel, we know, the gospel is good news. It's good news. It's good news about a new life and about a relationship with God. So I want to take you to two passages as we talk about this growth and outreach piece this morning. And those two pass two among many, many passages. There's so many passages. So Acts chapter 2, you're familiar with this passage. But what I want you to do is we read through it. I've highlighted the text here and there. But I want you to think, do I grow myself or does God grow me? Do we reach other people for Christ or does God reach other people for Christ while using us. So it says in verse 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to some practices. 
they said, we're committing ourselves to doing these things. To the apostles' teaching, these are the guys who were with Jesus. Really the best guys on the planet to learn from at the time. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And notice these things are not things that are done in isolation, but they're things that are done in community with others. The only problem is when you get around people, they get on your nerves. I mean, don't they really? Some people you just don't really want to be around. And sometimes the longer you're around them, the more on your nerves they get. And then you think about in the New Testament all the one another's. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, put up with one another, forbear. All these things. Uh, Build one another up. Um, Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. And all of a sudden, in community, you get to practice these things. And there are times when you just get like filled up to here with doing the one another's with people, especially those of you who are more of an introvert. You just need to recharge, you need to replenish, you need to come in your your own little happy place. I mean, all of us have to do this one way or another, right? We find our own little spot. We just need to, we just need to recharge. So, this is done in community. Spiritual disciplines are better done in community. If you had the choice of only praying by yourself for the next year or only praying with one or two or three others for the next year, Choose the one or two or three others. Yeah. That'd be like saying, you have a choice of being in solitary confinement for the next year or in a cell with three other people, right? What would you choose? You don't want to be in solitary confinement. People go crazy in, in, in solitary confinement, right? When you're all by yourself, your mind begins to play tricks on you. You have no, you have no bearing on reality we, we need other people. That is why that particular confinement is so terrible, because we need others. And so these spiritual disciplines, God gives them to us to do them in community with each other. So verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Who do, who do, who do these wonders and signs? Who does these wonders and signs? Kind of the apostles, but where do they come from, though? Right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gifts us. He gives us gifts and abilities to serve in the body of Christ and to serve and love others. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So the wonders and signs are done by God through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were together sharing, they were serving, they were together sacrificing, and they had everything in common because they said, what is it, mikasa sukasa, right? My house is your house. What's mine is yours. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they found themselves in the way of each other. They were living life together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were in the temple courts and they were in their homes. They, they had the Lord's Supper together. They broke bread together. 
They both ate and they observed the body and blood of Jesus together. And it was important that they did it together. They had glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it says, the very important statement, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added. That takes the pressure of evangelism off of us because the Lord adds. He uses us, but we don't get anybody saved. I think about Janet Bennett. I told her story my first time on this platform. Uh, Janet was a lady who led me to Christ. She would never claim credit for my salvation, right? She didn't do it. God did it because God was doing things in my family and in my life for years and then months and then weeks and then days leading up to that time. But God did it. God is the one who builds the church. But he uses the body of Christ, the body of Christ that is committed and devoted to love, the body of Christ that says, hey, when we get together in a relationship, love is going to be paramount. When we get together to serve, we're going to serve out of love and out of selfish hearts. When we get together to worship, we're going to worship God as we love one another together. So God works through believers in the lives of other people. There was this couple, Mark and Lisa, their real names. They started coming to our church in Orange City, and uh, she said she liked painting. And we said, "Well, well, you could paint. We need a lot of stuff painted. She came back the next day, and she had this stuff with her. She didn't mean like painting. She meant like painting. And so she went downstairs in the kids' ministry department, and she started painting animals and colors and rainbows and stuff on the walls, and it was awesome. And so they got, they got plugged in, and they got involved right away. And they were at our church, I'm going to guess, maybe about a year And all of a sudden, they just weren't there anymore. And so I knew that there were people in our church who were connected to them. And I was hearing reports from different people. Well, they're going through this problem. They've got that problem. And this one's family member. And so I kind of, I kind of backed off. I, I wasn't going to go, you know, where, where, where have you been? And, uh, they weren't around for a year and a half, maybe, or two years. And then I went to get my haircut one day in, uh, in Sioux City. And uh, there the guy was sitting down at the other end of the room. And I saw him. I, I, of course, I couldn't remember his name, right? Because I hadn't seen him for a year and a half or two years. And so I went down and I, I said hi and I sat next to him. And the whole time I talked to him, I couldn't remember his name. Of course, he's Pastor Jeff. Oh, hi, Pastor Jeff. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't remember his name. But we just talked. And I didn't ask him, hey, where have you been? You know, where have you been? How come you haven't been coming to church? I, I wasn't going to say that. You know, I was in an awkward position. So I just talked to him. And then when I left, on the way home, don't ever do this, I was looking at my phone to see, I, I know I've got his, I finally remembered his first name, and I punched in his first name, and there the other name came up. So I sent him a text, and I said, hey, I'm going to be in your town next Tuesday night. You and I should get together for supper at the Four Brothers restaurant. And he replied almost, he replied, first thing the next morning, uh, I'm in, I'll see you then. 
And as it turned out, God had been working in his life and in his wife's life and in their family. And he had just said to his wife that morning, he said, you know, we've, we've really got to get back connected to church. We've got to get around believers. We, we need to start growing again. We need, we need to get focused to a church family. And that afternoon, we bumped into each other. Now, I didn't do it. God did it. But when I left, I thought, okay, we didn't talk about any of the problems. We didn't talk about why he's not in church or any of that stuff. But I just have a feeling from talking to him that he wouldn't mind me going further with it. And I did. And he didn't mind. And they came. All they needed, all he needed was the ask. All he needed was for me to say, hey, you want to get together? We sat down across from each other, and he just started unloading. This and this, and I'm so glad we're meeting. Thank you so much. We talk. He just needed to be asked. They were back in church on Sunday. They've probably been there about every Sunday since then. They, they got involved in our small group, really helped our small group. And um, I didn't do it. I just was there. I was put in the way of him that day. God was working God was doing it. The whole, the whole experience grew me. It grew me, and it grew him, and, it's, and it continues to add to the kingdom. So that's a couple, Mark and Lisa. Another uh, passage we're going to look at is Colossians chapter 1. And you may not be as familiar with this passage, but again, when we look through it, look for the statements that speak to, does God building his church or am I building it? Is God growing me and you or am I growing me and you? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Paul says. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people. So this is a good sign that you've got real believers here. So they've got faith in Jesus, and then they've got love, actual love for God's people, which is always helpful. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in, and I like this, this statement, the true message of the gospel. The true message of the gospel, which is good news. The true message is always good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. And so this true message of the gospel caused them to have faith and love and hope. Next verse. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you. So the gospel, God through the gospel, the gospel is the word of God. And the Bible says that the word of God is active. It's living, right? It's the truth of God. It's, it's God's message to us. It's living and it's active and it actually does stuff. And it says here that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you. So the gospel is changing people around the world and it's changing them. It's bringing people into the kingdom around the world and it brought them into the kingdom since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. God's grace. God's grace is a major component of the message of the gospel. Verse seven, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You could just like go right over that phrase. We read the Bible all the time. We don't even think about it. 
Let me change that. I don't even think about it sometimes. I just read. But look at this. Your love in the Spirit. The Spirit of God empowers our love for one another and for others. Uh, For God and for, for one another. The Spirit of God does that. For this reason, verse 9, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So who grows us? Is it our discipleship program? Is it our going through the lessons and going through the chapters and doing the discussion guides? God grows us. Does he use those things? Yeah, he uses those things. But let's not replace the busyness of those things with God actually doing the work in us and God actually growing us because it's God who does it. And God does it through his word and through his people. It goes on in verses 12 through 14 and it says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, God is doing this. God is doing this. This isn't a separate program that, that we're going to do. What happens is, when we make it a separate program, it turns into information to be delivered. It turns into you have to make a decision and you need the right information. But that's not, that's not the way the New Testament talks about it. The New Testament says that, and Paul and Jesus both said it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the commands are wrapped up in this command. See, God changes hearts through love. God changes hearts through his people building relationships with other people and loving them, and serving them. And God begins to move and work in hearts so that when the truth shows up, the ground's all broken up. It's like the seed that drops into that cultivated soil that's ready now to grow. It's not the, the rocky path or the stony path. It's not the, uh, it's not the one where it, it can grow because love and relationships and service and an honest and an honest person with an honest relationship with God has already turned over the dirt and then that seed of truth that seed of the gospel can actually take root so it's the difference between if you had a friend or a family member living in Florida and you said man I can't be there all the time it'd be great if somebody somebody could move in next to them or could start working alongside of them that could share the gospel with them So who would you want to befriend your unbelieving family member? A follower of Jesus, fully loved by him and experiencing his freedom and grace? Or a religious duty-bound person operating on the basis of fear and using coercion? So I work here, so what I do is I go into the, the men's room and I leave a tract that says, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. I mean, hey, they can take it or leave it. See, in the last half of the 20th century, it almost got to that point. It almost got to that point. And then the millennials were born. And the millennials don't, don't think like that. They think in terms of relationships. See, thank goodness that every generation is different. 
And that every generation takes some of the good from its parents and then brings its own good. Leaves the bad and brings its own good. And the millennials, I don't know, if you, what is millennial generation? 19, what is it? 84 to 2004, something like that. Let's just say it's that. How many have born since 1984? Oh, we need you. You're the hope of the church. You're the hope of the future. See, millennials, millennials don't just want to give information. They want to share life together. That's one of the things I love about the millennial generation. So we would much rather want, moving in next to our family member, a follower of Jesus who's living in the love that Jesus has and experiencing the freedom and grace. They will be an attractive person for somebody else to say, hey, I want what they've got. They, they really have a relationship with God. I want that. How about, it's the difference between pray this prayer so you won't go to hell when you die versus telling somebody, hey, we got a relationship. You know that I love you. And by the way, God loves you too. And God has moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. What are you talking about, moved heaven? They, see, they don't hear this stuff. They don't hear that God literally moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with them because he loves them so much. They don't don't hear it from a person who actually loves them too. Too often, in my experience, they didn't. And I think that love is, uh, somebody wrote a book, it always always comes to my mind, love is the killer app, right? It really is. It really is. Love is the application that will always convince a person about the truth of the gospel. Well, I say always. Not always. But more than not. So God reaches people first through the power of love, not the scare of fear. And in this Halloween season, can we say that again, right? God reaches people through the power of love, not not hellfire and brimstone. That may have been popular at one time. It brought a lot of people into buildings, and it also brought a lot of people into the kingdom, but it left a lot of people out. And it's not how the New Testament talks about it. We we see how Jesus acted, and we see how the apostles lived their lives and how they acted. They loved people. And they shared with them a message of good news. They didn't try to scare them into the kingdom. So faith expressing itself through love and love expressed through action are the most powerful outreach tools the church has. I mean, Jesus died and rose again for the body of Christ, for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. And the Father commands it. He commands us to go out and make disciples and also to love one another. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do these things. So if you want to have an evangelism program, how about faith expressing itself through love? And how about what James says, love expressing itself through action? right? He says faith without works is dead. Well, if faith expresses itself through love, then love better not be without works, or that love is dead as well. Hey, if you want to hear the story of a, of a guy that experienced radical life change, episode 239 of our, of our 200 Churches podcast, you'd have to search for it. Um, Steve Mason, uh, a great story of life change. And it was all because people got involved with him. People got involved in his life and people loved him. And it moved him, as I said several weeks ago, from isolation 
to community. It moved him from depression and anxiety and loneliness to life in the body of Christ. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I will build my church. So if you say, yeah, I'm part of the church, then you're his church. See, Jesus claims us. He claims us. And he says, I will build my church. See, Jesus is doing it. Are we Jesus because we're the body of Christ? Are we part of I in that verse? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we're him. Maybe we're Jesus' hands and feet on earth. At the very least, he is using us, and we get the opportunity to be involved in bringing people into the kingdom. Philippians 1.6 on growth says, he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes us and who grows us. He's the one who does it. So 18 months later, Trevor and Eliza are getting ready to graduate and move away. And uh, they did everything I told them to do. They did everything. They got involved in a small group. They allowed themselves to be invited over to people's house for dinner. Uh, she got involved in mops. And my, my wife was the mentor mom, actually, for her in the Mothers of Preschoolers program. Uh, they, they made friends. They, stayed, they were at church all the time. They stayed connected with people. Uh, the church just put their arms around this young couple. I mean, this young couple... For those of you my age or older, you know what it was like when we were teenagers. Man, that comes up in the church. You'll get embraced on the platform after you share your sin with everybody, right? Our church just put their arms around this young couple. They, they had a baby shower for them. They encouraged them, helped them. And this couple did everything. I mean, I've never seen anybody do so much of what I've recommended that they do from a counseling session. And this couple did it all. And they were thriving as a married couple, thriving as parents, thriving as believers, and as part of our church family. And now it was time to say goodbye. And their parents came, and, and they, they took my wife and I out and with, the, with the whole family. And the parents were just so thankful to our church they stayed after church and they thanked people in the lobby. They were so thankful for what a group of believers did for a young couple far from home caught in the sin of premarital sex. And it was awesome to see this young couple. Today they live on the, on the West Coast and they're doing great. But as, I don't know if it's just before they left or just after they left, um, she she did this painting for, for me and my wife. And, uh, you know, this isn't like the greatest painting in the world, right? Not the greatest. Um, it's like the greatest to me, though. I mean, there's like this mountain scene and blue sky and red sky. I don't know if the sun is setting or the sun is rising. Uh, but it says over here, it says John 15, 12. And John 15, 12 says, My command is this, that you, that you love each other as I have loved you. And she sent, this, uh, she sent this letter, and I'm just going to read a part of it. She sent like two or three pages of this. She said, 
Dear Pastor Jeff and Debbie, I'm not very good at expressing my emotions, but I just wanted to let you both know how important you are to Trevor and I and how much you've impacted our lives. Let's start at the beginning, back when uh, Trevor and I were engaged and had first found out that I was pregnant. We were crushed. We felt so guilty, ashamed, unworthy. We were so nervous before we told you and unsure of how you'd react. I will never forget what you said to us or the love you shared that was and is the hardest time of our lives. And I honestly don't know what we would have done without your love and support and the love and support of our Dover Church family. We have been so blessed to have found uh, Dover Alliance and to have been a part of the church family. Never in our lives have we met such a welcoming and loving congregation. The amount of Christ-like love we, we received, uh, not just from you, but from the church, is truly amazing. And, and she goes on and on. And I found this when I was packing my stuff, you know, a couple months ago. And now I just remembered now. I just remembered. I didn't remember this in the first service. Um, as I was leaving uh, my last church, um, I'm packing my stuff up in my office and little by little. And then one day I decide I got to do it all. And you just, you, you think, you're trying to process, you know, leaving and what's going on. And I found this. And I sat in my office and I read this and I sobbed for like 20 minutes. Because I said to myself, this is what I gave my life for. Not board meetings, sorry elders. <laughs> you know, I, just not proofing a bulletin or even preparing a sermon. This is what I gave my life for. Life change. That people, people would be helped and supported and loved and their lives would be changed and they'd become these young parents who are gonna be great parents to these little kids. Now they've got a little boy. They're so cute. They're, so, they're just, I, I don't know if she's five yet or three or four or what she is. Um, I went over to the house, by the way, after she was born and held her like within a day. Uh, I think she had, the, she had the baby at home because her mom had all of them at home. So I was there within 24 hours and got to hold this little girl. I told my church when I shared this with them before I, I left, I'm going to have this uh, framed and I'm going to put this in my office and I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the church in Newton about you and how loving of a congregation you were to Trevor and Eliza. And I'm going to encourage them to love as well. So this morning, I'm encouraging you. Do all the spiritual disciplines. Attend church and do all the... Do that stuff. But absolutely love. And if you can't do one or the other, and you've got to choose between love and a spiritual discipline or love and attending church or what, always love. Always love. Because love changes lives. Love does. And so uh, I'm going to get that done, and when you come in my office, you'll be able to see it. And um, over the years, we'll make more stories, right? Uh, we'll, we'll have more stories of life change and of people. But... 
the important thing about this level of the boxes is that this is what God does. God does this. As we love, then God produces the fruit and God does the rest.